there's a story <coughs> uh, not really a story but a beautiful kind of telling of a person who at the end of his life when he is on the other side and gets to review his life he's got god beside him and as they're reviewing they're seeing life as a journey and that journey is represented by footsteps and as god's asking this person to see that process he sees there are two sets of footsteps mostly throughout and god says to him you know one set is yours one set is mine for i have always been with you wherever you have been however you have walked uh, however rough the terrain was so as that man's you know paying attention he sees at certain times it becomes just one set of footprints then again it becomes two sets of footprints then again one set of footprints and he's you know he gets a little like why is you know what what happened over here what was where were you during that time why is there only one set of footprints in the sand and god of course says many of you probably know this he says those are my set of footprints those are the times that i had to carry you and you know and then before i could lay you back down and somehow it feels you know talking about this cycle of sorts coming to an end it feels krishna especially during these 8 months has been carrying many of us if we look back at this time we'll see his set of footprints on the sand because he's really held our energy he's held our consciousness he's held the right context for us to aspire to throughout and so today we come back to chapter 7 we're on verse 15 we just ended and this is the chapter title the yoga of knowledge and discrimination this is the gyana yoga what is reality krishna begins by wanting to share with arjuna saying i'm going to give you the entirety of reality and what does he say the entirety of reality is is him and he says i'm as much as the farthest galaxies as i am in the hearts of men i am infinite i'm also infinitesimal i'm in both forms of duality the good and the bad in man i am the manhood in courage i am the courageous in those who seek glory i am that glory that they seek essentially krishna is trying to give us the sense of we can seek him of course in that infinite all embracing formless state which is the brahman state of brahman which is the state we're aspiring to towards freedom but also to recognize that krishna is as much in absolutely everything and that's the true gyana yoga until that reality doesn't kind of really seep into our being where our eyes see only him everywhere somewhere we're never going to be able to make that final merging of our consciousness and so he talks about just in the last uh, stanzas he talks about how he is the one who's created the three gunas yet he's not in you know or not affected by the gunas himself and then the final thing that we left with which was <laughs> both sweet and a little scary was krishna saying it is indeed difficult to waken from my cosmic hypnosis instinct as it is with the three gunas of maya only they who take shelter in me can find final freedom from the wonderful power of illusion 
And talking about that previous image of the walking, um, there's a story that Swami Kriyananda often would tell us. And it's the story of Narad. And Narad's walking with Lord Vishnu. And Narad's asking Lord Vishnu, why is it so, how can people so easily get so caught up in Maya? I mean, can't they really see? I mean, it's so obvious. Uh, it's not working. There's so many disappointments. There's no real fulfillment. I mean, I don't get how people can get so enmeshed in Maya. And so he's asking Vishnu, you know, tell me, why is Maya so strong? What does Maya have that just completely captures people, hypnotizes them? And Krishna Vishnu says, okay, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, but we've been walking for a while now and apparently they're like in a desert area, so it's hot and they've been walking and talking and Krishna says, you know, I just, I'm just going to sit down here and I'd really like a glass of water, I'm thirsty. And so they see, Krishna points out in the distance, he says, I see a little hamlet, a little village there, smoke's rising from the chimney. Narad, would you go and, you know, get me a glass of water? Narad, of course, ever obedient goes out and he knocks on the first door that he comes across and this beautiful maiden opens the door and uh, the way Swami would say Narad felt this ancient familiarity with her and he's just like caught in her beauty but more in her beauty in the in this connection that he feels they share and you know of course she perhaps feels the same she invites him in he's asking of for a glass of water but now he's kind of forgotten what he came for. He comes in, the, her family is there, her parents, and all of them start embracing him as if, you know, they know him really well. And they're just like, they've just accepted him as one of the family. Soon in like a day or two, they're getting married, Narad and this beautiful lady. And they get married. Now his her parents have established Narad. They've given him a piece of land. They've built him a new house. Soon he has a son. A couple of years later, another. You know, such 12 years pass. They have one more, a new, just a few month old child. And after 12 years of this, a flood comes to this village. Um, it's been raining heavily. The river nearby, you know, just goes into flood. And this flood now is so raging. It's so powerful. It begins to wash away all the huts and all the people and people are abandoning their things and Nara just about kind of gets out with his wife, with his new kind of born child wrapped around his shoulders, his two young uh, sons holding their hands and they're walking and wading through the water. The water is strong and it's powerful and uh, Narad kind of misses a step and he falls into the water and in doing so, the child on his shoulders just gets swept away and in the natural instinct of wanting to grab that child, he lets go of his other two uh, sons and he reaches for the child. That child goes away and the sons as well get stepped away. He looks at his wife and his wife in complete despair of having lost their children just lets herself go, also gets swept away. And there is Narad, just aching and paining in his very will to live, of course, also leaves him. And he allows and surrenders himself into the waters and gets swept away as well. And then, you know, he's there, he's lying, he's unconscious. Of course, suddenly he starts coming back to consciousness and he hears this, again, very familiar voice saying, Narad, Narad. And he opens up and he expects himself to be completely wet and somewhere on the shore somewhere. But of course, he wakes up and he looks and he's on sleeping on desert sand. 
And when he looks up to this voice, he sees Krishna. And Krishna says, Narad, where have you been? Just half an hour ago, I sent you for a glass of water. You know, what have you been up to? And of course, Krishna, Vishnu, no longer needed to answer that particular question. And this is what Krishna is referring to over here, this hypnotic power of illusion that he says is very, very hard to break. Narad, who had the complete wisdom, was just with Vishnu, knew and just asked the question about Maya. And there he is, the moment it takes one tiny little thing. Once you're hooked, you know, it just reels you in. That's the power, that's the magnetic power of Maya. Of course, that's also the magnetic power of God. But not all of us are able to ascend to God's magnetic power easily. And why? Why don't we ascend? This is where Krishna says, it's the instinct as it is with the three gunas. And that's the key here. The gunas and how they play in us create the magnetic pull either towards Maya or towards God. So here we are, verse 15. Evildoers in whom Thomas is predominates, lowest of human beings, dull-witted and bereft of understanding by the power of Maya, failing to take shelter in me, partake of the nature of demons. Now, of course, he's not talking about actual demons going around with, you know, gnashing teeth and uh, however we tend to represent them. These demons are the asuras of our own lower selves. And we know such demons. We see them. You don't have to. They're not lurking in the shadows. They're <laughs> ever present around us. People who are power hungry, you know, only given to their physical cravings, only thinking about themselves. Everything is about don't care how they speak. Don't care for others' feelings. Use language that's harsh and dirty and just piercing. Those are the people in whom tamas predominates. And for them, maya is like this great thing to get completely involved in and to own completely and to use and abuse to the maximum of their ability. And as I said, such people are unfortunately more evident than not. And we have, you know, it's not those people either. We have those tendencies within us as well. But I'd like to think some of us have the other tendencies, perhaps a little stronger. (laughs) They help balance it. We do slip into tamas every now and then. We do go bereft of understanding. We do get dull-witted. And it's that dullness, the lack of clarity that tamas kind of brings with it. We do go into moods, into depressions. It's so easy for harsh words sometimes. Lack of of discipline. Lack of discipline. You know, here we are, we have all the tools that we need. And yet, you know, we just willfully choose not to use them. I mean, that's Tamas. That's Maya's really powerful pull. It's like, oh, you want to get to heaven? Here's the key. And when the key is given to us and then suddenly we see a little shiny rock on the ground and, you know, we drop the key to go for that rock. And that's just when tamas predominates. So we should, we start becoming aware, ah, okay, this quality is predominating. And also look at it just as Krishna is looking at both himself. He's just like, 
He's looking at himself so impersonally as he talks about, I am this, I am that, I am this. He's not saying, I am this and I am so great and I am everywhere. He's just talking so matter-of-factly and it's important for us sometimes to look at our own personalities that way. Ah, Tamas is predominating. Achha. Let's see if I can bring a little Rajas in. That's what's going to lift me up from the kind of spiral downward. Those who seek shelter in me, O Arjuna, are of four types. So now he's talked about Tamas. And now Tamas, he's essentially saying they're evildoers, but he's essentially saying they're not interested. They're not, they can outwardly talk about God. They can visit temples. I mean, you know, we, we know people who can make a big show of religion or God himself. But as long as Tamas predominates, there's no real relationship with God at all. Then comes those who seek shelter in me or Juna are of four types. And these are primarily the Rajas and the Sattva types. <clears throat> Let's see what these four types are. And we'll immediately uh, correlate to them. Those who are in distress. Those who are seeking understanding. Those who seek power in this world or the next. And those who are already wise. These are the four types Krishna recognizes. Those in distress, those seeking understanding, those seeking power, those who are already wise. Let's look at it. There are two things we look to God for. To take things away from us or to give us things. <laughs> Unfortunately. And it tends to start with distress. It tends to start with suffering. Even atheists in times of suffering look to a higher power, begin to pray. It's just inbuilt in us. The moment Maya becomes so strong and so unbearable, God's presence, interestingly, because duality expresses itself, also becomes just as kind of that longing to reach out to something greater. And this longing to be rescued comes into our hearts, naturally. We don't have this when we're relaxed and happy. It's not we're not then we're not interested in God. But the moment we get distressed, the moment there's some suffering in our lives, basically we seek God to remove things. Take this away. Take this away. Take this away. And that's our first thing. We start with, take this away from me. Then, of course, there are those who seek understanding. After a while, after we've, in fact, suffered enough, which is a very interesting concept. And this is how Swami Kriyananda sometimes put it when somebody asked him, why aren't more people steadfastly on the spiritual path? And Swamiji said, because they have not yet suffered enough. And of course, he's not talking about some sort of like, you know, diabolical suffering. It's really the suffering of the soul. For as long as the soul remains separate from Krishna, it's just, it's just unfulfilled. There's a part of it that just cannot be in rest. And that's the suffering that compels us, impels us, propels us towards the spiritual path. But that suffering takes many forms. When we've suffered enough, reached out to God enough, there begins to build a relationship there. And now we start to say, it's not that I just want you to take things away. I also want to understand. I also want to know why, how, what's going on. Why is this happening to me? It could be a very egoic process as well, but there begins this innate desire to want to know 
what's going on. It's not enough that you just take my suffering away. I also want to understand the nature of this suffering and nature of my own self. While we begin that process as well, naturally, we also at the same time are seeking power. Now, power here doesn't necessarily mean, you know, some sort of authority. We're seeking power in this particular sense means the ability to have influence over maya, ourselves, others, our own karma, our own destinies. That's, we seek to influence. And in that we need, we want. And of course, we power takes on many forms. It takes on in the forms of desire, money, you know, authority, fame, you know, some sort of strength over others, discipline. So both spiritual and physical material, as Krishna here puts it, in this world or the next, because there are very several layers of desires here. Certain desires are astral desires, desires for beauty, desires for harmony. When you want there to be harmony in, in every place that you go, when there you want to express the highest levels of beauty, uh, our Guru Yogananda said, it cannot truly, that desire cannot be fulfilled in the physical world because that level of perfection is um, not possible in such a highly relative and dualistic reality. And so only in the astral worlds do these refined desires get fully satisfied. So whatever that desire may be, we seek, we ask, we want now. Now give me something. Take away something, help me understand, give me something. These are the three kind of natural things that we all tend to think is, is still being spiritual. You know, that's our relationship to God often. And then comes the fourth, which is, and those who are already wise. So one beautiful wisdom <laughs> definition of those who are already wise is who, those who don't do these three things. Those who are not seeking or not, they're not in distress or they don't have the consciousness of distress. You come to a point where what would seem like suffering doesn't seem like suffering at all to you because it just draws you closer to God. And those who've already begun to understand, they're no longer saying why and what and intellectually wondering, how does this work? How does that work? Ah, tell me about this. Tell me about that. They've understood the basics of what reality is. And they're actually no longer interested just to, for the mental intellectual exercise of wanting to know, which tends to be another drug that is very close to humans. <laughs> that, that's why we've invented gossip, this need to want to know. What is this person doing? Similarly, we're wondering always, what's God up to? And then, of course, he who is wise is not seeking anything in particular. And then Krishna goes on in the 17th verse to really define that wisdom that he's talking about. Outstanding among the wise is he whose devotion is constant and one-pointed. I am above all things dear to that sage and he of all beings is dearest to me. Now that's the kind of sweetness that all of us are seeking. Can you imagine if Krishna says, that person's dearest to me and I'm dearest to him. 
And what is that definition? Outstanding among the wise. So even in the wise, you know, there's categories. <laughs> there's like <laughs> you can have tamas even in the wisdom, and you can have sattva even in the gunas are always at play. Until you emerged in God, you cannot escape the gunas. You can only use the gunas to ascend that ladder, or sometimes, unfortunately, descend as well. Outstanding among the wise is he's who he whose devotion is constant and one-pointed. This is the key. This is where all devotees need to come to. And that's why Krishna talks about these four categories. These four categories, the first three categories are conditional. When I'm in distress, then I seek you. When I need to understand something, then I seek you. When I want something, then I seek you. And then he who's already wise. <laughs> that's like a whole category onto itself. So, as long as our search for God is conditional, which means it's on and off. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. When something's not working well, then suddenly the world is Maya and I need to get away from it. Moment it starts fixing itself, you know, let me indulge as much more as I can. And until each one of us get to the point where our devotion, which means our seeking, our deep yearning and desire for God, for freedom, for Krishna, is not constant and one-pointed. One-pointed means there's no other thing in the mix. There's no, well, I'm also seeking Krishna, but I'd also really like to, you know, be um, very healthy at the same time. And I'd also really like to make sure that I'm outwardly successful. And I'd also like to make sure that I'm going to use affirmations in this way that will make me whatever. You have to get to the point because those understandings are already done. Nothing is being asked of Krishna except himself and that person krishna says is dearest to me all of the above now these are the four all of the above four kinds of virtuous men are noble interesting when i read this all four virtuous so he's got evil doers which is tamas and then the others all four which is the rajas and the sattva categories here he considers virtuous now, why does he consider them virtuous? All of the above four kinds of virtuous men are noble for the direction of their consciousness is upward. This is the key here. Even in distress, rather than wallowing in your distress, which is what the tamasic pull of the guna is, we're reaching out to God to be drawn up by his power. And so our direction, even in distress, even in suffering, even when we don't understand, even when we're only asking for things, the fact that we ask a greater and higher power naturally connects us to a greater and higher power, thereby making the direction of our consciousness upward. But the sage, again, he's coming back to that already wise category, but the sage who has established himself firmly in me as the highest goal. Now that's the thing. The direction can be upward, but what's the goal here? For those who are in distress, even if the direction is upward, the goal is not to be in distress. Those who want understanding, the goal is, I want to understand this. Those who are seeking power, of course, the goal is this, that and that. But only he who has firmly established me as the highest goal, him I look upon as indeed my own self. 
Can you imagine? Krishna says, if I am your highest goal, then I look at you as my own self. Krishna already sees us as himself. Just by the virtue of us saying Krishna is my only goal. I mean, already we're there. Krishna sees us as there. Even if we don't think so. But this comes, this means we're very, very close. We've mentioned this so many times about how one disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda came to him and said, you know, Guru, Master, I don't think I have very good karma. You know, he was feeling one of those self-pity moments. And Master just looks at him and says, it takes very, very, very good karma even to want to know God. We don't realize. And here's, this is what Krishna is saying. Even if all, he's not saying that he who has found me, I consider as myself. He who has done so much tapasya and he's doing this and he's doing that, him I consider myself. No, he who has firmly established me as the highest goal, to him I consider. If that's already come, Believe me, in Krishna's eyes, in Yogananda's eyes, we're just right there. And if that's where you feel you are, there, there might still be a few ripples on that the surface of the ocean. But know that you're very, very close because it takes very, very, very good karma even to want to know God. And we've got to the point where we don't just want to know Him, we want to become Him. We want to merge into him. After many incarnations, the sage realizes me in my true nature. After many incarnations, the sage, where Krishna is, you know, while he's said that you're very close, but he's still saying, you're a sage and you still have to go after too many incarnations. Even once that desire comes, the process is there. But remember in our last class, we talked about Swami gave us this esoteric key. He says, in your own meditation, each time you go breathless, you can live many incarnations in one. And so that's the way to, in fact, live many incarnations and find freedom in this lifetime alone. A person so illumined that he sees me as all-pervading is rare and hard to find. Now again, the way Krishna is putting it is very interesting. He's not saying he who has found me, he who has merged in me. He's talking about a person so illumined that he sees me as all-pervading. Means he sees me in absolutely everything. Coming back to the original discussion Krishna starts, the nature of reality itself. That person is rare and hard to find. So not only is this telling us where we need to be, but it's also as Krishna tends to do, he gives you the solution in trying to show you where you ought to be. If we start seeing God, seeing Krishna already is all-pervading, relating to everybody in our life as Krishna. This is how our Guru would ask us to be. See me in everyone. Because our relationship to our Guru is so well-defined. If your relationship is to Krishna, if your relationship is to Buddha, if your relationship is to your Guru, to any saint, then see them in absolutely everything. If you can do that, if you can even conceptually begin to act 
as if you are able to recognize God's all-pervading nature, then, you know, so rather than coming up this one way that Krishna is also talking about, we can come at it the very way that he's saying is the goal. We use the goal also as the method. Because if you're meditating 20 hours a day, like Ram Gopal Masumdar, then you're fine, perhaps. But if you're meditating a couple hours a day, what are you going to do the rest of the time? Rest of the time begins to say, ah, let me find God in everything. Let me see Him everywhere. But not just see Him everywhere, then relate to Him in everything. Another very sweet interaction between a disciple and Yogananda was this disciple very sweetly but uh, I think Yogananda picked up something in him said Master Guru when I see you I see only Divine Mother you know he was thinking that I'm going to shower my Guru with this wonderful little praise and Master just looks at him and says then behave accordingly which is you know (laughs) it's sweet (laughs) that you see Divine Mother in me but then you have to behave that way. And so it's sweet that we say, oh, God's in everything. God's in everyone. We must love everyone because God is in everyone. And then, then suddenly we are upset with somebody. Then our children are driving us crazy. Well, then behave accordingly. That's key here. Don't just know that God is all-pervading. Act like God is all-pervading. That's what's needed in this particular case. What do we think? Should we continue or should we? Sure, let's continue a little bit more. This is verse 20. Those, however, who prefer to follow their own will, rejecting the path of inward communion with God, whose discrimination has been vitiated by this craving or that, and who perhaps feel inclined towards cultish teachings seek lesser gods so now krishna of course he first is establishing for us that i need to be your highest goal now who are the people who don't seek krishna don't seek god don't seek brahman as their highest goal and he's talking about and these are the characteristics among many but key elements for us to tune into Those who prefer to follow their own will, but there's a caveat, rejecting the path of inward communion with God. So there is this whole, you know, debate now, of course, that comes on from this verse is what is our will? How does one recognize divine will? What is free will, (laughs) you know, in all of this? And does God just want us to become automatons or just become slaves or just surrender all self, you know, um, what's the word? Self-effort on our part. So we'll look at that. So one is those who prefer to follow their own will. They reject the path of inward communion with God. Whose discrimination, now discrimination is our ability to discern truth that's how we discriminate not this not that remember that story of that guy picking up those pieces of paper anyway i'm not going to repeat it again if you remember you remember but finally it's like it's the practice of neti neti in the scriptures neti 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 not this not that 
So discrimination is needed because we're talking about the nature of reality. We're talking about how am I to discern what is God and what is not God. And our discrimination usually is false because it's guided or more appropriately blinded by craving for this or that. Craving is a strong word here, but it's in fact craving because we can't control ourselves. <laughs> That's what craving shows us. And it's our desires that don't allow us to see truth because we want this. Uh, everything, our reasoning, our feeling, our chitta, our buddhi, everything will support why we should have this. And then that becomes our truth, of course. And who perhaps feel inclined towards cultish teachings and seek lesser gods. Now what's cultish teachings here? Of course, it's, a, it's both a very broad definition. Um, the word cult tends to take a very negative uh, connotation. connotation, which is not true. It never came from there. It comes, of course, from the word culture which means a defined set of parameters, right? This is my culture. There are certain traditions, there are certain aspects to it that are defined, that are common, that all of us participate in. But a cult becomes kind of from that negative perspective. In fact, is when in a cult, we kind of give that power of free will away to a person where the energy is not being drawn towards God but is being drawn towards a particular person and this is um, quite prevalent today uh, where a person begins to claim and this is where again discrimination of a true guru is required who is is this my teacher is this my guide and it's not always easy and a lot of us have to essentially go through this process. Again, the gunas play a very vital role in deciding where we'll kind of, <laughs> where we'll fit. But any place where the energy is drawn more towards a person and less towards the infinite, because even Krishna here, which is so beautiful, is he keeps saying me and he keeps saying me and he keeps saying I and he keeps saying things. But never once do you actually think he's talking about himself. There's this instant recognition of Krishna kind of directing all our attention to that cosmic consciousness that he wants us to unite with. And it is the cosmic consciousness that has become Krishna that represents that I. So anytime we get involved, um, and again, cult, not necessarily negative, but anywhere where the goals are about the self. You can do it. It's all about you and you know you will be empowered and I'll, I'm going to teach you to do this and I'm going to teach you to do that. It becomes limiting and it becomes self-serving. And then Dependent. obviously it creates a very codependent, it's a very nice kind of parameter to judge. It creates a very codependent kind of crutch based system where you can't exist without me and you know and I need a group around me to somehow give meaning to what I am doing very different of course from satsang and from the joy of fellowship so it's a it's a subtle difference and um, 
Krishna is of course kind of putting it out there for any one of us who need to tune in more deeply as to what is our goal. You know, what is it? Where do I draw the line as this is what I am seeking? And seeking lesser gods here of course means the gods. He doesn't mean you're seeking Ganesh or you're seeking Lakshmi or you're seeking, you know, whatever, Indra or Agni. The lesser gods being these lesser states of success, of fulfillment, of awareness. And the more the awareness is about you, uh, believe me, that's as low as it can get. The more the awareness is about a greater sense of being, the naturally upward that flow and that magnetic pull begins to come in. In here is where we're not willing to surrender or offer our will to be united with God's will. Now, Krishna is not in any way saying, let's kind of take this as our last thought. Don't ask me, Don't you should not want anything. You know, again, the gunas are real. You can't fake this process. You can't just say, oh, I'm just so content. I just don't need anything. And then, detached. you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm so detached. And then somewhere in there, you're wondering about whatever, where's my next meal going to come from? Um, it's okay to want things. It's okay to even ask for things. Krishna talks about these four virtuous categories of men I consider noble, even those who are in distress, even those who want power. The question really becomes, and this is where the alignment of will is important, and we'll not always know what's my will, what's God's will. Oftentimes, God's will is not so particular. Oh, I, I want, my will is that you take this bus, and my will is that you, you know, eat only this, and my will, it's not God's, not that. <laughs> He's not a micromanager. <laughs> God's will is for our freedom. That's the kind of, you can, if you just have to create any definition, that's it. And how does one attune to God's will is in fact often through our desires. And so what we would do is, God, I want this. I feel I need this. I'm drawn to this. This calls out to me. I feel guided to do this. But only if it's in alignment with your will. If you just put that out there to God, only the way Christ put it so beautifully, you know, Lord, let this cup pass from me. This was just before he knew he was going to get crucified and he was just putting it out there, God, if I don't need to go through this, you know, Can't that's all right. Yeah. Let this cup pass from me. But thy will be done and that's how we need to end all our prayers god this is what i'm thinking this is what i'm feeling <laughs> i'm in distress please take this health karma away from me but let your will be done what is your will is my will god i really want success in life i want to be the best person i can i want to achieve this that and that but if it's in alignment with your will and as we start to do this daily for every desire for everything that detachment just starts to come in naturally and then our karmas our desires become in alignment with dharma and this is what we talked about several times in the past karma and dharma don't necessarily have to be different in as much as how we approach these two realities both of them are drawing us towards god but they need to come into alignment with God, not wait till, you know, everything's figured out and now I'm at a position where I can finally give myself to God because I've gotten everything else taken care of, so now I don't need anything else. 
just get all your desires god let thy will be done and with that let god's will be done and let's see if there's something in particular that narayani has kind of conjured up for us to practice <laughs> this week i was thinking that verse where krishna is saying that amongst all wise that that worship me that devotion that is expressed one point single pointedly towards me that's the wise that i'm always by his side and the dearest to me and i was thinking perhaps this week what we all can do is to express that devotion and perhaps to create a habit to 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 manifest outwardly in in the way that you feel comfortable and deepen our deepening our relationship with krishna and i was thinking if you have already statue of krishna that's perfectly fine if you don't perhaps you want to print an image of krishna put it on your altar put it in a nice place perhaps you know create a frame and and put it in a place where every morning before you start your day you just go to what's that statue that picture that frame and just very simply offer a gesture an act of devotion perhaps you know like krishna you know guide my chariot this day or you know be by my side when i'm in the middle of the battle of activity or make sure that you know you bring out the pandavas within me just create a little morning ritual where you are asking for his presence throughout the day 2 3 minutes not much perhaps you want to you know light a candle do a little bit of incense or perhaps just only a silent prayer but make sure that that act of devotion mm, it's offered to him and also before going to bed go to that statue that murti that picture thank you krishna even if i have not seen you felt you or noticed you throughout the day um i know you have been by my side and just thank you so this could be a good practice because krishna and christ have the same consciousness and this can be a good week to to transition from the christ the krishna consciousness to the christ consciousness we are about to enter uh, for the christmas season so i think this could be a very powerful thing to practice to develop a deeper more intimate more personal more devoted attitude towards the presence of krishna in each one of our lives and let's see if that relationship becomes real where 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 we eventually can feel 
Krishna by our side and guiding us every step of the way.